Welcome to the Everyday Musician Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mungala. Today is a special episode, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, joining me this week is Boston-based pianist and a good friend of mine, Chung Z. Chung, good to have you on the Everyday Musician Podcast. Oh, thank you, Eric. Thank you for the invitation. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. And um, we are living in some strange times, but, you know, life life moves forward, of course. Chung, I'm... You've been doing some pretty interesting things in the world of music, and I want to touch base on that later on in the podcast. But for people who are not familiar with who you are and what you do, can you just briefly describe where you're from and how you got into music? Sure. Um, my name is Chung Zhi. I'm a pianist and teacher now living in Boston, Massachusetts. I originally come from Beijing, China, where I spent uh, the first 18 years of my life. Uh, my father actually bought uh, our first piano even before I was born. And I got my first lesson at the age of three. And uh, I went to a special musical boarding school in Beijing uh, for my elementary school education. And after that, I went to China Conservatory of Music for middle and high school. Uh, and in the year of 2008, I received a very generous scholarship from the Bobler Conservatory of Music here in the U.S. So I completed my Bachelor of Music there. And after Bobler, I moved to uh, Boston and uh, I completed a Master of Music degree and uh, a graduate performing diploma from the Boston Conservatory of Berkeley. Right. And this and the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley is where we met, of course. And uh, right. we we actually were put in a timber music group together, yeah. uh, Clara Schumann's Piano Trio. And we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment, of course. But, <laughs> um, you know, the great old Clara Schumann Piano Trio, that was a fun experience. But Chung, let's talk about some of your hobbies outside of music. Um, what are some of the things that you do outside of piano or do you live and breathe piano? 24-7? Uh, actually, um, besides expanding my knowledge in music in general, I love to um, search things that's very far away from what I do. I love things like a film, literature, art in general, and uh, I also love to read philosophy, economics, and uh, technology. Excellent. So, what are some of the things that you like to listen to or like to read? What like what kind of literature are you interested in? Uh, you know, um, I was very uh, deeply influenced by my father. He was uh, a journalist, and uh, he introduced me to some of the French literature and the Russian literature when I was a child. So I really love Russian literature. And uh, for music, um, I'm currently studying and listening to uh, some of the pieces, symphony pieces by Gustav Mahler and Zoltan Kodai. Wonderful. So, Chung, I would like to briefly talk about your experience growing up in, in China and going to uh, musical conservatories from a very young age. From what you just said, you, did, you, you know, music has been a big part of your life. Who got you into music or was that a decision that you made yourself? Uh, I don't know if you ever heard about this uh, joke. Uh, it says, if on the street of Beijing, you don't see a child carrying a violin case, then that child must be a pianist. So uh, everyone was playing piano of the child. Our neighbors all playing piano. I guess it was a, you know, more or less a social thing. And of course, piano was very expensive at the time. 
Um, I'm very grateful my family was able to provide that. But right before um, I went to middle school, I had a teacher from Russia uh, who taught me for one year. And, and uh, I didn't really learn all that much from him because, you know, I don't speak Russian. I do <laughs> well, let's, let's hope that he's not listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> Right, I know, and he doesn't speak any Chinese uh, nor English. But one thing about that experience was I um, will go to the music hall listening to he practices. He practices eleven hours a day. Besides, he you know his teaching schedule. I don't know how he did it, but uh, you know I just remember the sound he produced in the hall, and also the personality. You know he conveyed to all the students uh, in his class. And, you know, I guess the answer to your question is that uh, I sort of decided for myself, I want to do this. Of course, my family really supported me, especially later on, you know, when I decided to come to America. But, you know, in China, everybody's playing music and people very care about classical music. And as you can see, there are many Chinese artists on the world stage today giving concerts such as, you know, uh, 200 concerts a year and all that. Um, even today, you know, I mean, the education for classical music in China is very, uh, very hot, I would say. Um, so it's, normally, you know, I, I got very lucky. So Great. Thanks for sharing all that, Shang. And what was his Russian teacher like? You know, you, you, you obviously he didn't, there was a language barrier and you couldn't really speak to him. So how were lessons conducted? How would he, um, how would he teach you? Yeah. Uh, he speaks a little bit English and I, I do too at the time. And, uh, mostly he would sit down and the protocol was he would sit down at the piano and then play something and expecting I'll do the same. Uh, but from my memory, uh, he was very into, um, the style of music and the sound in particular, not so much, but the fit fingers or technique or stuff like that. But he really wanted me to play the music that sounds good. You know, he will say things like, oh, that doesn't sound good. It has to be sound good to start with. And that was it. I mean, it just is very, very different from studying with um, Chinese piano teacher because Chinese piano teacher have their own style. They were focusing on pushing their students to play more tangent piece uh, in an early age. But he was not very, very... Uh, my teacher, I mean, he wasn't very eager to push me to play any big pieces, but really play the small piece perfectly. And things like Chopin's Waltz or even just a, a box invention. And he said, box two-part invention actually is more challenging than some of the prelude food. And I still think he's right. You know, the artistic development is very difficult because today, as I'm teaching my students, it's very easy to teach them Technique over a one period of time, technique will emerge more naturally. If you know what you're doing as a teacher, I mean, but musical personality, it's, it's, I don't know how to teach it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to, how to do that. Right. And it's often very difficult to be able to teach music. Um, you know, teaching, teaching technique is, is easy, right? It, you kind of have the fundamentals. If you understand the fundamentals well, you, they're really easy to, teach but in terms of you know the musical style and musical language and there there's a lot of nuance uh wouldn't you say mm -hmm, mm -hmm. exactly and also to find their own voice i mean of course we all have to follow the 
score. You know, people say, "Oh, I know you're very, very talented, but you have to do what composer asks you to do." But in the very, very high level of、uh, performance, you still hear everyone approach music. You know, in a very unique way. I'm sure if you listen to a recording of.、Uh, Let's say David Ostrach. You can immediately recognize that was his recording, or Rostopovich, or somebody like Martha Argwich. You recognize that their, you know, that's their performance. Why is that? Because this is this very unique rhetorical personality in their playing that makes them so special.、Um, and I do think that's very important. You know, just look at the score for the instruction is very important. But you have to grow up into an artist. Uh, and I think my piano teacher, my Russian teacher, and all the my dear teachers after him all helped me with that、um, that part of my development tremendously. Thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. So, are you more of an educator or more of a performer these days, or do you kind of keep a balance of both? I'm doing a little bit both. I would say、um, it's very hard to find a balance、um, if there's a Opportunity for performance.、Um, I'll definitely practice, you know, every day to make sure I'm prepared. So as an educator, that's more of a, you know, that's my、uh, main source of of income. So I have to、uh, do it, you know, also every day.、Uh, I don't think I ever find、uh, the right balance between these two. I, you know, the、uh, the best thing I could do is to be always prepared to be functional, you know, to be someone、uh, what people needed. Great. So for any Pianist who's listening to the podcast. Let's say I'm a beginner pianist and I'm not sure where to start or what to do, or、um, or I have a teacher that I may not like and may want to switch a teacher. Do you have any suggestions for someone listening today that can help improve their technique today in the practice room? What what would you recommend to them? So, do you mean somebody just beginning, or somebody already have a little bit of experience? Let's start with someone who's an absolute beginner, and then we'll transition、oh, into someone who is a little is intermediate and and then more advanced. Yeah, and then you you want to talk about like how would you practice if you were just beginning piano? Sure. Yeah, or just how you、yeah. would approach the piano. You know, as an educator,、yeah. you know, you teach a lot of beginners.、Oh, I'm、see. sure, right?、Yeah. And I I teach yeah, beginners I as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, that's very challenging because. Uh, when I talk to my、uh, colleagues, like, how do you guys teach beginner? They're like, oh no,、um, because if you have somebody who study with you、uh, at the in- in- intermediate level, they will play something, you know, probably for twenty minutes, and they just talk, and then the lesson is done. But if all of a sudden you have a child come to your studio and you have to speak for an hour, <laughs> right? And <laughs> I、worse. guess I guess what I'm trying to ask is.、Um... Yeah, how do you how do you go about that? Right, I certainly there's a lot of method book you want to use,、um, things like a piano playing for Russian school, and also there's another one called a piano adventure.、Uh, you have to follow the method. You have to follow some of very very、uh, specific steps to help them. And I I find that、um, another thing is very interesting to think about is that we have to. Explain things in very very simple way to them because we train ourselves very hard in the conservatory, and we learn about all these you know musical philosophy, history, all that. But when we go into our you know working place, start working with particularly you know like a young child, 
where adult beginners will have to do, uh, we have to get outside of our own, you know, uh, mentality being a professional musician. Uh, we have to teach them in a way they can understand it. You know, sometimes it's more about human communication than music. Um, for me, I will certainly explain to them in the first lesson, uh, how to sit at the piano and uh, what's the distance between their body with the instrument and what's the sitting height and how do you actually even put your hand on the piano? And of course, explaining, you know, where's middle C and what is this instrument about? You know, I mean, on a piano, you see the black keys, you have the group of two black keys, three black keys, things like that. Very simple. And they won't feel, you know, intimidated by it. And that's usually how I approach. And how would you approach someone who's a little bit more experienced and, you know, they have a solid technique, but musically they're struggling? Yeah. First of all, I would, uh, uh, organize their repertoire. I mean, some people, they're very uh, ambitious, let's say. They want to play, let's say, all the Chopin etudes. You know, I wouldn't give all that to them unless they're, you know, preparing for a concert or a competition. You know, you want to give people a program that's uh, in different styles and a different technical demand. You want to give them maybe only one piece that's a little bit um, more than they could do. The rest of it, make sure they have their foundation building solid. Uh, and of course, classic uh, repertoire, things like Bach, Beethoven Sonata, and uh, Chopin Ballade, they have to learn that too. But I would say to reorganize their repertoire, to make a little bit more you know, uh, approachable for them is the first thing I would do. So organizing repertoire that might not be overwhelming right. from the very beginning right. but have right. a have a balance so that way you know right. like if you are preparing a recital then you understand um how to kind of um pace the recital out yeah exactly because as a teacher um including myself i have seen people making all kinds of mistake which is okay because everybody does um but the more experienced teacher i know um you know, I, I can see how they do this thing. They uh, they really know what's the level of that piece and when to give that piece to any particular students. Usually we think we can play certain piece and we have an idea of what kind of teacher we are. And there's an idea of how we want, you know, our teach, uh, our students to be. And then we just give them very challenging pieces. But it turns out they couldn't do it. And all the time has been wasted by playing something that they couldn't do it. And that just, that just very, um, we'll have to be very cautious about that. You know, we we'll have to be very, very smart about what kind of piece to give to students. And it was the difficult level for that piece. I think oftentimes, Chung, you, first of all, you're absolutely right. I, and second of all, I think oftentimes teachers might provide a piece for the student that might be a little bit overwhelming for them. But like you want to choose a piece that is challenging, but yet that's obtainable. Right. And that's, 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 I feel like that's a struggle with every teacher listening in and every music educator in the country. You know, I think we all have to consider the level of the ensemble or level of the student to determine what is best for the student because one student doesn't learn the same way as another. Yes, absolutely. So, Chung, you mentioned uh, a, a quite a bit of Chopin in in the just a few moments ago um what are some of your favorite composers to perform uh it depends on what piece i'm working at the time i mean as a pianist my repertoire mostly focused on romantic era things like chopin brahms 
uh, Schumann, lots of Liszt, and also late romantic like Rachmaninoff, Scriabin, and Prokofiev. I mean, it's a very hard to pick a favorite one, isn't it? Because it's really depending uh, de- depending on the works. Um, but some composer they write something very well, but not maybe not other genres. It really depends on the pieces. Great, thank you. So let's say 19th century is your go-to period for playing music. Mm-hmm. There's a there's this uh, you know debate over the compo- Russian composer Rachmaninoff, I and mean, because for musicologists they think Rachmaninoff is not as important. You know, if you read uh, any musical dictionary, the description of all the composers usually for Rachmaninoff is only like a few paragraphs, right? But if you read about Mahler, it's going to be two pages. But if you look at the international concert stage, what people really playing, you know, people want to listen to Rachmaninoff's concerto. Yes, especially especially to his piano concertos, because that's what he's you no, know, he's a, he's a, he was a pianist after all, right? But I think people often forget the story behind the symphonies, right? right? Because the fir- the first symphony that Rachmaninoff wrote was not quite popular. It wasn't popular at all, actually, and. It wasn't until, you know, he, he actually faced a depression, which is first symphony. And then he was con- encouraged to go back and record another symphony. And the second symphony was actually a masterpiece, which everybody performs all the time. I believe I, I, I believe I attended the Chicago symphony concert within the last year and a half or so. And I heard the first symphony and that has a lot of great elements to it. Right. Right. Are you familiar with the first symphony? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, have you ever listened to his uh, symphonic dance? I think that's the last piece he ever wrote. Um, yeah, that's a great piece too. I mean, it has a, a two pianos um, version too. Excellent. Yeah. And what interests you about Rachmaninoff in general besides the history? Like, what for someone who is uh, listening to the podcast for the first time and isn't really familiar with Rachmaninoff? What can you What can you say? Um, that can inspire right. someone to go on a music platform of their choice and to listen to them Rachmaninoff. Yeah. So what's really amazing about his piano music is that uh, in the beginning, we first uh, encountered his music. What really attracts your ear, I guess, is really his melody and uh, some of the brilliant passages and also the very mysterious texture of his music. But after a little while, as you're working, you know, on his pieces, you realize that, uh, well, it's not just that, but there's a lot of a very profound meaning in his, uh, in the material he uses. You know, he used a lot of, uh, uh Russian Orthodox chant in his music. Um, the, the famous example is, you know, his Paganini variation and also a lot of elements from Russia's folk song. Um, I guess really, you know, as you're working on his music, you realize it's not just, you know, virtuosic piece great for the concert stage, but also, you know, um, personal musical essay, you know, uh, and that's very close to a pianist because pianist wants to play something that really express the full range of emotion and ability, you know, of their skill. Um, and certainly people like Rachmaninoff or Liszt or Chopin really fulfill that standard. Let's transition into your work as a performer. We've all been affected by the coronavirus, of course, yeah. right now. And I would just kind of want to talk about something amazing that you did recently that I've saw on social media. So can you just p- briefly talk about uh, your project? 
Yes, uh, we did um, a fundraiser concert raising money uh, for the benefit of Wuhan, China to uh, contain the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, so this actually, uh, it's, it's really depending on timing of, of, of this whole thing. I was very lucky to be able to do this because um, a friend of mine, my dear friend, Dr. Ricardo Lozidus, asked me to join him to work on uh, his father's musical legacy. And there's a CD that he produced in Israel last year, um, which including uh, 18 sacred songs from a, rec- a four-recorder quartet. And these um, 18 sacred songs, Eric, is actually his father's arrangement of the music by Bach. No and kidding. They're very, wow. Beautiful. Right. They're beautiful. They're very beautiful. Uh, I wish we could listen to it um, at some point together. And my part is to translate them into Chinese, and I hope we can record them at some point. Um, my friend um, from school, Jia Yi Wang, who's a, a tremendous singer, agreed to sing these these pieces. And I thought, well, since we're doing this, and also a problem at hand was happening in Wuhan, China, uh, what about if we do something together? And all of a sudden, a friend of mine actually called me and said, if you want to do this, we can provide concert hall to you. And I was like, this is great. So we all feel the calling to make an action here. And uh, and it just happened. Uh, but we had our difficulties, you know. Um, and even though my friend offered a concert hall, we still want to do this in the school because, you know, we want our classmates to come. And... Um, that will give us more support. And also, the original idea for donation uh, is to send relief to uh, Han Hong Love and Charity Fund. But right before the concert, the organization actually closed due to its lack of staff and the volume of the donation they already accepted. But, you know, we have this uh, uh, technology uh, around us. I was able to connect with some of my friends in China through WeChat. And it just happens to be one of my uh, high school best friend. It's uh, working as a piano professor in Wuhan Conservatory of Music. And I asked her, uh, what should I do about this? Can you help me with it? And she gave me a list of organizations and said, you should try them. You know, And if you want to do it, you better donate the money to the hospital because the hospital is more direct. And the Wuhan Tongji Hospital is a very big and a very well-regulated hospital. And if you can send the relief there, um, it will be more direct. And you probably want to consider that. And I asked her, how are you doing? How does it feel to be in Wuhan at this time? And she said she feels like a, a beast. You know, she feel with her family, you know, they're feeling like in a cage, waiting for, you know, something scary to happen to them, I guess. But all of this, you know, if it's not with the support of my friend, I will never, you know, even begin to think to make the concert happen. Uh, we, we raised a little bit more than $1,000. It's not a tremendous amount, but um, we just got information from Wuhan last week. The money is being delivered. And uh, uh, I was very happy to hear about that. And all of this actually makes me think about uh, uh, in the year of 2003, because uh, me and my family was living in Beijing at the time. And, you know, and as many that uh, our dear listener now hearing this, you may know that um, in 2003, the SARS outbreak happened starting from Beijing. Actually, start from, I think, Guangzhou. 
but Beijing was certainly one of the city that、um, the outbreak affected the most. I remember I have to stay in home for for many months, but I grew up in boarding school.、Uh, I don't really see my family that often, so the quarantine restriction actually provided a chance for me to communicate, to interact with my family very closely for a very long time. And、uh, that experience, and also what's happening right now, the timing, really put together for me to、um, to make the fundraiser happen. Chang, I mean, I just want to thank you for everything that you're doing with your craft and with your art. And I think for everyone who gets the chance to work with you or to meet you, I think you are just you're you're a very、um, you're a very down to earth person, as people already hear, right? And you're very intellectual and knowledgeable. And I think what you're doing to help Combat the COVID nineteen outbreak is exactly what we should be doing as artists. You know, to continue creating art and music for the for the people of the world, and to you know, because in in many ways, music does heal, right? And I think many of our medical professionals, health and medical professionals, are under a lot of stress, and you know, any little bit helps to kind of help. With、um, fighting this COVID nineteen. Thank you for all that, Eric.、Um, I mean, I grew up as a musician, and I always think that you know, if, if there's any way I can make myself available and or useful, I'll definitely、um, make the effort.、Um, because if you look at、um, something about the outbreak is going on right now,、um, something really breaks my heart is that、uh, if you look at from、uh, where we're just talking about literature. If you look at one thing that's very shocking to know from, let's say, Leo Tolstoy's One Piece, you know, was the tremendous numbers of casualties during the、uh, during the war, because every single human being must have a life, whole life behind or in front of them. But now, all comes to a numbers, and that's you know that's very sad. And now, look at you know what's on the news. Look at the number of the case that has been diagnosed positive for people who died from this. Uh, as a musician, I think this the, is the least we could do. I hope we have more knowledge on, you know,、um, actually,、uh, one of my students' mom, she's working on、uh, transporting、uh, masks from China to America, and people are not, you know, they all doing some noble things, trying to contribute. And I think what we could do is to really,、um, first of all, very be careful, stay safe, and listen to,、um, you know, useful and Precise information on the current situation, but also we need to encourage each other and we need to help each other because, of course, human nature is very complex. But for me personally, I really believe love, compassion. It's it's on the bottom of our heart, and certainly we can do something about it. Yeah, especially as a music educator, this day and age, I think I want to just. You know, acknowledge all the music educators out there. Shout out to all the music educators, and just any educator in the world right now who has to drop everything and recreate a curriculum that they've been working on for months. You know, for for a semester or for a trimester or for a quarter, for them to drop everything and to kind of start from scratch and to continue teaching our youth.、Um, I think the real heroes are you know the people educating. You know our kids, especially 
in the music industry, in the music field, as well as our health and medical professionals who are, you know, helping us keep us safe. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about video lessons. You know, you see, you know, sometimes you see a coronavirus outbreak meme in terms of music. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think that's what's really cool about social media is that you kind of get a lighthearted situation. You know, people are really making best use of their time at home and practicing. However, how have you been conducting your video lessons? What what has been different and what have you done to adjust to, to the process? Yes, first of all, you know, um, making sure all of my students from where I work are getting uh, the information about what's going to happen to school and what's going to happen to our lesson. You know, responding email uh, with uh, their parents uh, with, you know, the school is certainly very important. You have to do it right now and do as much as, as you can. Um, but for me, for the past few days, you know, the, I have switched a lot of my students online. You know, it, it's, it, it's been okay. I, you know, you couldn't teach a beginner on, on, online. I mean, at least for, uh, young children. But some of my adult students, they're able to do it. And it's going okay. And, uh, just to, the best I can and see what happens. But I, I always think as a classical musician in the first uh, 21st century, one has to be extremely strong, both physically and psychologically, because we have to deal with different levels of reality almost every day. You know, your practice uh, in a conservatory, you're exploring deep philosophical and you know technical challenges in late Beethoven's Sonata with your professor. And then after that, you have to go to school to teach somebody never touch the piano. So you have to change your, you know, expectation um, constantly. And this, I, I feel like it's a challenge, but I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, that hard for some of my uh, colleagues. I think people will go through it. Um, it's just a matter of making the right action in the right time because people are very busy. You know, I thought, oh, it's going to teach at home. I'll be fine. But I wasn't fine. It, it's, it has been very chaotic for the for the past few days because I have to you know switch online and at the same time I have to make sure the food is ready. I have to make sure um, how is the payment for my um, work is going to work out. And I also have to deal with my school and deal with you know other things. Deal with the thing I have, have been promised and calling my fr- family, calling my friends in China, and I have never done them. You know in this short period of time. But I think, you know, we can do it. I think so too. Have you been keeping in touch with um, your family members in yes, overseas? Almost every day. Almost every day. I'm calling my mom, you know, at least once every two days. And she's been quarantined in Beijing. You know, she's staying home. And uh, but she has a um, habit for preparing food for the near future. So she's fine. Even, you know, before anything happens, she will have a food in home. So she's a very good at it. And she said, it will be bad. It will be very good if everybody have a, a garden in the back of their apartment so they can grow their own food. <laughs> but she's okay. Um, Not a bad suggestion. <laughs> exactly. Very good for the environment. Uh, but she's okay. Um, she lives a little bit uh, away from the city. Um, the air is better and uh, the whole district has been locked down. And but there are people providing providing food and other uh, life essentials uh, to them. And um, as you as you hear, the China is actually getting a little bit better. But I still tell her, you know, 
be careful. You know, listen to the right information and have your own judgment. What's right? Don't just listen to other people say. And be very, very careful because you don't know what's going to happen. Because it's very tricky.、Um, you know, I heard from my friends、uh, around here telling me, "Oh, you'll be fine. You know, it's not that serious of a big. It's not that big a deal. You know, for young people, it's okay. For older people, it's going to be." I was like, "I'm not sure about that because the only thing I'm sure is that I, we don't really know that much about this thing.、So、the best thing we could do is to help our family, help our friends." Do the thing that's in front of us as good as you possibly can,、um, and that's the best we can do. Everything else just you know is also under control. And when there's a new solution comes out, or when there's other you know、uh, something strange you know happening from what other people saying, you know we have to be very careful not to panic and pay too much attention. Pay pay that attention more than necessary. Yeah, thanks, Chunk, for、uh, speaking to that. And I think、um, in the in the last podcast episode, we briefly spoke about how you know you know musicians are making use of their time at home and what they're doing. And colleague of mine, Ed Wharton, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to Ed Wharton's podcast, I recommend that you do. It's a really fun one. We talk about solutions that musicians can do at home on what to do during this outbreak and when people are quarantined at home. What came up to the conversation was chamber music, right? And we met you and I met through chamber music. We met through、uh, Clara Schumann's piano trio, and I think、um, I've never played a single piece by Clara Schumann. But I think you were the first person to get me into Clara Schumann to begin with. So, for someone who is completely unfamiliar with Clara Schumann, give us the spark notes of who she is. And why she's important? Yeah, she was very important because、uh, she was a, a tremendous pianist.、Um, she was also a composer herself. She composed a, a vast amount of、uh, piano pieces and also music for chamber music.、Um, she was the wife of Robert Schumann, and they had lots of children together. And、um, I can see there's a lot of influence from Clara to Schumann's. Or Vesa Rosa, but、uh, I just thought it's a very nice piece to learn. You know the, the trio and especially the last movement. I honestly I don't really remember what was going through my mind <laughs> at the time when we have to. Let、leave. let me let me remind you. Let me remind you.、Okay. So we we got we got in you know we got assigned to this chamber music group back in college, and we were,、uh, you know, we we briefly met, and you were like. We must play the fugue from the Clara Schumann piano trio. We must, we must do the fugue. And I go, what? I just, I just met this person. I don't know who this Chung is, and he's convincing me to play the fugue. And I'm like, you know what? Sure, you know, I haven't played some, you know, much piano、right. trio music.、So、I'm like, okay, why not? I feel like it would be a good,、right. it'll, it'll be a good piano trio to start. And、um, our coach was like, why did you bring this in? But we、right. thought, <laughs> but, but we thought that it has tremendous value to the piano trio repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Can yeah. you talk yeah, about because, that experience、yeah. um, of that piano trio? I don't know. It just technically really fits my hand, I guess. And、uh, you play very beautifully in that, Eric. You did a great job. Your look, you guys are extremely supportive, and I think we had a. Honestly, that was one of the most wonderful experiences I had from Boston Conservatory. 
And, oh, really? Uh, oh, man. That's, right, that's really. And, yeah, it was just beautiful performance. And working with you guys, it was, it was very, you know, you know, thoughtful and very sufficient, I would say, you know. I just really love that piece, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sometimes. Like, but it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not like, it, it's not like tech, it's not like, it's not like Brahms piano right. trio because, or like anything grandiose, to, but is there something right, about it that just like kind of touches your heart? Right. You listen to a lot of challenging pieces, you know, all these are very uh, huge pieces going around the conservatory, you know. It's like we listen to some of the lay Beethoven sonatas. They're very ambitious, but they're also very strange, right? There's certain strangeness to it. But if you listen to some of the uh, Becketales written by Beethoven, they're just so beautiful, very dedicated. And I thought, why don't we just do something like that? And then Clara Schumann just, you know, naturally come to my mind. And it's not, a, it's not an easy piece. It get a little harder in the end. Do you remember? I, I do, I do remember. Yeah. I think musically speaking, it's <laughs> difficult because there's actually not that much material to work with. Yeah. And you kind of yeah. have to, you know, you have to add some flavor to that melody because it just keeps repeating in different ways and kind of have to right. change it up a bit. Right. Exactly. You have to have your own, uh, point of view in that you cannot just follow the score and i think that's something to be said about our conversation earlier about teaching music because we you right. can teach technique but i think is something musically that's something you kind of have to play figure out and then feel i think that mm-hmm. they all kind of go hand in hand is that nuance that you feel yeah yeah exactly it's a it's a i would say mysterious process um because certainly we can provide things for students to learn um, to have their own style, find their own voice, but you never know what's going to turns out because sometimes it can be very, very su- uh, surprising. I remember this one time I have to work for eight hours on Saturday and I was so exhausted in the day. And then a student of mine come in and started playing Mozart Concerto, the third movement of number 20. And all of a sudden I just were energized by that. I was like, let's go for another eight hours. Wow. Yeah. Well, of course. Right. And of course that's from the style of Mozart, you know, but also from the energy of the students. You know, that's part of a uh, uh, part of his being, I would say. Um another thing I want to talk about, Eric, from from you know, um to extend from this this respect uh, aspect of music teaching is that uh, Many of my uh, students' parents, they will come to me and say, oh, the reason we want our children to study music is because we want them to be smarter. We want them to develop better in their intelligences. Of course, we have a lot of study on that, like people, you know, something about their brain. And I also read a little bit about that. Yeah, that's been proven. Right. But to be completely honest, I'm not sure if I can speak to that, you know, with you know, any authority, because the thing I do know is that if you learn music, if you have a good teacher, you build your character around that. That's part of your personality. And that's part of your life. You're going to be given a gift that people, you know, won't have if they don't learn music. And for that, I'm really grateful to my parents and my students, uh, and my students, of course, and also my teachers. The sacrifice they made and the effort, you know, the devotion they gave into um, my development. Well, Chung, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I really, this has been such a pleasure and just to reconnect with you and all the amazing things that you're doing. And, you know, being like an everyday person, you know, you're really approachable. You're really easy to talk to. And, you know, you're a musician on top of that, which is why, you know, we call it the Everyday Musician Podcast. 
So, Chang, where can people listen to your music if you if you have any recordings on uh, online on YouTube? Where can people learn more about you, or if people who are listening in the Boston area can you know get lessons from you? Sure.、Uh, if you want to listen to my playing, you can just search my name, and and after that you can search piano on YouTube, and I have a YouTube channel there. And for people who are interested in taking lesson with me. Uh, they can visit、um, the website of my schools, which is IP Piano School and Seat Music and Art Center. Wonderful, yeah. Chang is just an amazing person, an amazing pianist. To just to be a, as a colleague and as a friend and as an educator, he has a lot of knowledge that people can learn from. So,、um, Chang, thanks again. This has been such a blast. I really appreciate. I really appreciate this conversation. You know, it's always nice to kind of reconnect with some people they、yeah. haven't talked to in a while, and, and、uh, this is one Eric, of them. I just want to say that. I just want to say that. Thank you for what you're doing too, because、um, I have been listening to your program. I think they're amazing. I think your contribution to the musicians、um, in the greater Boston area is tremendous because. We want people's voice to be heard, right? And we're trying to. It's very difficult to achieve, you know, great life at the same time pursuing your art. I mean, that depends on how you define your life, right? But with your effort and your program, we feel like we're really in this very healthy and vibrant networking, and it just feels very fun, you know, to have somebody to to take action. It's very good to know you too. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And you know what? How about how how about this? How about this? Next time we meet each other, we play Clarish in Montreal. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All Thanks right. for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Everyday Musician Podcast. This is Chung Zhi, who is living in Boston, is a Boston-based pianist and educator. Chung, thanks so much. Thank you, Eric.